Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Welcome to hour number two of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host for the hour, Ken Chester. So glad you could join us. On deck for this hour, an automaker's patent application for a motorcycle car hybrid, one company's efforts in a growing electric charging infrastructure in the United States, and finally, a tale of two wannabe automakers. It's a cautionary one. All that, of course, with a bit of rummaging around for tidbits from the parts bin in a moment, but first. To add your voice to the conversation, it's easy. Call or text me at the Roadworthy Drive Line, that number, 872-222-9793. Email is also an option for those of you that would prefer to write. That address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. That connects you to me and the show, and I would love to hear from you. And, of course, nothing would be final without the nod uh, to those joining me in the studio, the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack at the controls, and Lady Sasha holding things down at mic too. How y'all doing? Everything okay? Yep, everything's fine. Everything's great. Hello, Sasha. Yeah. Hello, yeah, I'm suspect. Yeah, that's a little yeah. too willing. Yeah, he is suspect. Yeah. <laughs> in more ways than one. Wow. Now, Ken, what is in this week's parts bin? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's a thing. What's the thing? It's a thing. Um, electric buses. We've talked We've about talked that. We've talked about that. Yeah, but let's break this down for you. Um, Chinese automaker BYD, which, by the way, um, has heavy investment from Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. Awesome. Uh, They make battery-powered buses, and it's starting to make a dent in fuel consumption in China. China has about 99% of the 385,000 electric buses that are on the road in the world. Mm -hmm. They add, get this, they add 9,500 battery-powered electric buses every five weeks. Wow. Say that again. They add to that fleet every five weeks 9,500. Hundred electric buses, brand new buses. Yes, sir. Remember how we were talking about a certain subject during hour one while we were waiting to go live, Jack, about how other countries are leaps and bounds. Oh, but wait a minute, ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me throw this at you. All right. For every one thousand electric buses on the road, they save five hundred barrels of diesel fuel a day. Wow. That's a no-brainer. BYD estimates that its buses have logged about 10 billion miles and have saved 1.8 billion gallons of fuel. Do we have an electric bus manufacturer in this country? We or, do. Are they, okay, who is it? You had to ask me that. They, have, they actually have plants in Lan, uh, Lancaster, California, and I believe north of South Carolina. So we talked about that. Isn't L.A. going to all electric buses here pretty quick? Um, L.A. is looking to be committed to buying um, zero emission buses by 2025. Okay. And they're one of 13 communities that are looking at the China experiment going, hey, you know, we can do this. Also, you might recall, we talked about a system that somebody developed that had the ability to recharge a bus in a half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? Yep. 
and they didn't have to plug in. They pull into a space, and it was a, a wireless induction situation. Yep. Mm-hmm. They said it had more power than in a Tesla supercharger, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. But they would have to be because, I mean, those buses got to go. Yeah. And more importantly, they have lots of batteries because they're heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you can recharge it, and I want to say it was 80% of the charge in 30 minutes or something phenomenal. Uh, Which would not be bad for a bus. No. No. Not at all. You know, the driver's brake, whatever. They estimated, in fact, if I remember that piece correctly, that doing it that way, those buses could travel 700 miles a day. Which, if you think about that, it's a lot of miles, but actually it's not. Well. Because they're, they're going in basically in a loop. They yeah. are, whatever the route is, but 700 miles, though. That's pretty, a day. That's pretty doggone good. You know, on electric charge, not emitting any pollutants. Yep. Now, people, you understand why China is at the forefront of all this electric stuff. They have some of the worst pollution in the world. Yep. yep. They don't have a choice. And it dovetails nicely with what they're trying to do by becoming the EV capital of the world. Because China's laid down the law in many cases, uh, you're not going to be allowed to sell cars in China unless they're electric. That's coming. And that's coming. They wanted to have that, uh, I want to say, in less than 10 years. You're thinking right around 2025, 2030? 2027, I think, was about where they were at. Okay. So, but still, that was earlier than France, England, Germany, which were about another 10 years out. They were close to 2040. Are they also developing heavy truck Vehicles that will not run on diesel, it'll run on electric. Yes. Okay. But that, but that's pretty much all over the world. There's a lot of that going on in Scandinavia, as well. Volvo's doing a lot with that, and Volvo's a heavy truck manufacturer. Yes, they are. And then, of course, remember Toyota is doing that with a fuel cell down at the port of uh, Long Angeles. Beach. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on right now. So you know the fact we and we've said it here before. That the days of the internal combustion engine are numbered. Now, are they going to go away, poof, totally? No. But as a percentage of in vehicles, as a percentage, yeah, it's going to go down. And I expect it to continue to go down substantially in the years to come. Between the moving parts, the fluids, the contaminants, all the maintenance, all the moving parts, electric just makes more sense all the way around. All the way around. All the way around. Speaking of a fuel economy... Um, we had talked about here that the government was looking to relax standards. Right. The court said not so fast. Now, the industry pundits had figured, and they kind of telegraphed that, yeah, current administration wants to uh, defer, delay, or otherwise roll back, but not going to be so easy. Also, with the story we just talked about, China is the, is the largest automobile market in the world. If you don't keep pace there, you ain't going to be able to keep pace elsewhere. So relaxing standards in the United States is actually a fool's errand. Yes, it is. Uh, If you're going to be a global manufacturer and all of our manufacturers are global, then you need to keep up with what's going, what's going on. And Europe is being very aggressive about eliminating pollution. Okay. And where are we at with the three manufacturers here, with them being able to get an electric car, a totally electric car on the road. Well, that's a whole big story. We've talked about it. GM's had one. Uh, well, they call the Volt, the Bolt, uh, Volt with a V, an extended range vehicle. 
But uh, they have all had some sort of hybrid for years now. And Ford, we've reported here, had talked very seriously about commitments to pure electrics in the years to come. But then again, Ford also made a commitment to a completely autonomous vehicle in the next three years. Do you see that happening? Um, I think 2021 for full autonomy is a bit um, uh, ambitious. Part of that is regulation because you're going to have to figure out what you know the feds are going to want and what you're going to have to have and what that's going to look like. Liability from the insurance company standpoint, will a manufacturer take that liability? If so, then laws need to change because right now in every state, it's the person in the driver's seat who has liability or the owner. So even if you eliminate driver's seat, you still got an owner. Well, what I was going to ask you is if you eliminate the – if you go fully autonomous, and you've eliminated the steering wheel and the brakes. Mm-hmm. And the turn signals and, and basically everything, everything all, the control, all the control apparatus. You still have a seat there. Mm-hmm. But it's no longer a driver's seat. That's where, I, that's where the rubber's going to meet the road right there. And that is where we're going to need federal standards so that this will be evenly applied rather than a patchwork of state standards, mm-hmm. which is what's happening right now. Correct. You know, you've got some states which are kind of liberal with the tech, like Arizona. You have other states that are hardcore, like California and New York. And then you have some states that are in between. Well, in fairness to any kind of manufacturer, you want uniform standards because it costs money to try to meet all these little standards and quirks and things. And you can't build a quality vehicle that way. And you can't meet it because it becomes cost ineffective real quick. So um, on that note, Chandler, Arizona. Yep. First city to include driverless and drive sharing services as part of their zoning laws. Oh, wow. If they approve this, the city council... They any new project will be encouraged to include autonomous vehicle uh, drop off and pick up for autonomous vehicles ride hailing and they'll reduce the requirements for parking by forty percent. That changes real estate prices. Well, not only does it change real estate prices, but I want to see what they're going to do with people not having a driveway. This should be interesting. But these are mainly projects as opposed to individual homes. Okay. Next. Um, we're going to be talking about a motorcycle car hybrid. It's been done before. This is Roadworthy Drive. You are tuned to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Want more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook. three luxury cars. Like the other two, it costs around six or seven thousand dollars. Weighs two and a half tons, has a huge engine and power equipment. But this is the longest of the three. The one with five speaker stereo instead of four, with chrome steel torsion bars instead of coil springs, built-in headrest pillows, slightly larger brakes, and if you like, a separate rear seat heater and defroster. Can you tell which luxury car this is by what goes into it? You should be able to. 
Because two of the things that go into any luxury car are you and about six or seven thousand dollars of your money. Find out more about the all-new 1969 Imperial LeBaron. If you're just tuning in, this is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm your host, Ken Chester. And it would it would help, I guess, if I follow the script. What happens? <laughs> that is what happens when one does not attend the pre-production meeting, and he one reads over. How does he miss the pre-production meeting? Is hey? Did they say six or seven thousand dollars? Yes, they did for a brand new car. Yep. For a brand new five thousand pound V eight three speed automatic luxury car. I mean. It's like, it's like living in your house. <laughs> it's big. Right. And then I can have the grill out back and the dogs can play in the trunk. And, Pretty yeah. much. My, and the reason why I had that commercial run, my best friend actually had a 69 Chrysler Imperial. And how many blocks white, of? White with a black interior. Wow. Wow. It was huge. How many blocks of the neighborhood did it take up when Two, you were parking? About three or four. <laughs> Yeah, if I knew then what I know now, we came up over this hill one night on a state highway, four lane. Just um, the hood, right? Pretty much all you could see. Right. Now, bias ply tires, just uh, front disc brakes. Yep. I mean, none of this, none of the safety equipment we have now. None of it. We came up over that hill doing about 120. Whoa. Oh, no. Whoa. Yeah. Well, that if, was the speed limit. Uh, was nowhere near. <laughs> let me put it to you this way. <laughs> We were doing double the speed limit plus. <laughs> if we knew then what we know now. You mm-hmm. wouldn't have done it. No. You would have done it twice. No. Okay. Bias, bias ply tires? Yeah, no. The I'd... adult in the room has to move us along. So <laughs> read There's the script, please. an adult in the room. Man. Oh, well. Anyway. Yes. Occasionally on this program. We come across interesting ideas by automakers and others in the automotive industry that they have filed with the U.S. Patent Office. For one reason or another, they're proposing what they feel is a unique product, process, or concept that they want to protect. We have found one, another one, worthy of discussion. May I introduce the motorcycle-car hybrid concept? I've seen this this week. Have you, though? I don't know. If you have a picture, I'd like to see it. Okay. Um, I don't exactly have a picture. I have a drawing of what they put on file. Okay. Uh, Sasha? Yes, sir. Um, would you care to guess the automaker that would do something like this? Okay. The automaker that would incorporate mm-hmm. their own... Okay. First, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is it their own brand of motorcycle? They were not specific. Then I am going to venture a guess and say Honda? No, but interesting you should say, Honda. We will come back to that because they did it first. I, okay, see, that's what I thought. But that's not what this is. What's the company? The Ford Motor Company. What? <laughs> with Harley Davidson. No. It's okay. not with Harley Davidson? No. But they do a Harley Davidson. It's an electric Correct. motorcycle. Harley Davidson? Has... Uh, no. No, they do not. Harley bought a company that does that. That's it, right. They, they don't no. specifically. No. No. Ford has filed a patent that features a motorcycle integrated in what looks like a Focus or Escort wagon. I just... Now, does the bike detach from, from this Yes. Thing? Yes. Okay. So what is the advantage? Um, well, hold on. 
That uh, they they believe electric that in, in big cities where congestion is tantamount, that you might park the car on the outskirts of town, detach the motorcycle, and drive the motorcycle into town. I guess. That's what they're talking about. Now. Wait, wait, wait. They call it a multimodal transportation apparatus. Huh? And, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, added benefit, the motorcycle leaves from the front of the car. Yeah. That the, your, your uh, console, your center console, mm-hmm. is actually the motorcycle. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Is the motorcycle also electric? Yes. As she's thinking about and that. The, and the only two wheels on this thing belong to the motorcycle. Well, no, no, no. there's actually four wheels on the car and two wheels on the motorcycle. So it's like a ramp up or out? It would have to be We're like showing a ramp. pictures right now. Okay, I don't I'm just see saying. it, but that's okay. Okay, here's the thing. The patent notes that the motorcycle is equipped with and can be autonomously driven by an electric motor. It will be fixed securely to the car, and the connection can be established and released by a user in a reversible manner. The bike and the car can also be used independently of each other. So the car's act- so this car-looking thing mm. is actually going to have an engine. Electric motors. Yeah. Front okay. and rear. I'm sorry. Electric motors. Mm-hmm. The battery of the bike will be wired into the main vehicle, which is in this example is also a battery or hybrid electric, and will be charged by the same system that charges the car. Wow. What, what would the advantage of this be? According to them, um, from a congestion situation where you're in a city, maybe like one of the ones in China, where bringing a car in is too much, but a motorcycle would be more maneuverable and more convenient. Okay, see, when I go into a big city, I want more steel around me. Um, no. I've lived in a big city, and chances are you won't even own a car. You're going to take public transportation because trying to drive is a nightmare. But if if public transportation is not um, an option for you, uh, this could be could be um, a second choice. Now okay. we mentioned, and Sasha brought it up, uh, that Honda did this before. Now in the Honda example, the electric bike folded into the trunk. Yeah. Wow. Into like a mini car. And they didn't make that many of them. Uh, they only sold a little over 50,000 of them uh, in about three years. Back in, the, believe it or not, 1980 to 1983. It's been done before. Now, I don't remember that. Yeah, well, because they probably never sold it here. They put it in the subcompact cars like the Honda Today and the new Honda City. They never sold the Honda City in the United States. Okay. So it's... They, they called theirs a folding scooter. Yeah, because it looks like a scooter. I would, it does yeah, and, like it, and it folds out, and that one did run on gas, I think. So, you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same, apparently. 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 So uh, perhaps Ford's better idea. I guess we'll see if anything comes of it. But it's interesting that they would do this for a car when they just announced, we just reported last week, they get out of the car business in the United States. Guess that means China. Next, Infrastructure Electric, one company's offerings. This is Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy 
Drive. Like us on Facebook. This is the beginning of the second half of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Thank you for listening. For those of you that need or want more than your share of the road, consider going to our website, and that's roadworthydrive.com. That's for you. Find audio clips of prior shows, video clips of our crazy behind-the-scenes antics, and so much more. Yeah, find out who is the real adult in the room. (laughs) The website is a great place to discover where to find us, in the world of social media. That was directed at me, by the way. What? What? Yeah. Did you know, did you know, that we are now also available on Google Play? Google Play? What's that? Go- uh, please, Sasha. <laughs> really? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All for you, our listeners. Sasha, our super-duper social media diva, keeps things entertaining and interesting during the week between shows with her informative postings on social media. See what you have been missing. We have a YouTube channel as well. And as always, be sure to like us on Facebook. Now, there's been much debate and conversation with respect to the building of an electric charging infrastructure here in the United States. And uh, it's, it's kind of roiled in the, amongst the Roadworthy Drive crew also. Mm. But I've always contended where we are right now is no different than when gasoline-powered cars first started to travel across the roads and streets of this nation just over 100 years ago. The difference now is that the adoption is happening on a variety of fronts. I mean, you go back then, there were no gas stations. There were no repair shops. There was no tanker trucks. Heck, the roads weren't even that good. But yet, in spite of all of that, a gasoline delivery infrastructure was built. Yeah, it was. So I don't know why people are getting all bent out of shape now. Oh, my goodness. We don't know if, it, you know, electric infrastructure. Oh, so hard. Who's going to build it? Oh, my goodness. Well, but here's here's the one thing that I will say. Mm-hmm. In having conversations with different people throughout the week. Wait a minute. When, you have conversations? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. Get over yourself. <laughs> wow. Um, people are asking the questions that I'm asking. Which is? They feel. Like the electric car is just going to get thrown upon us. And if you, you know, and it's range anxiety. I will admit that. So they're asking me the same question. Well, Jack, what in the world are they going to do when they throw the electric car at us and there's no place for us to charge it except at home? Okay, number one, and a whole host of things, (laughs) as I put this nicely, there's a whole lot wrong with that. So let me take it a piece, piece parts. Remember the story about those German engineers? Mm-hmm. Remember 650-mile range? Yep. Okay. Uh, what we're seeing is falling battery prices. Uh, we, are seeing extent, we are seeing growing range. And there's a tipping point. And number two, uh, nobody's going to throw electric cars at anybody. Please throw an electric car at me. Because right now, <laughs> r- right now uh, the consumers want SUVs and crossovers. What are the automakers building? SUVs and crossovers. Thank you. Still, though, please. I'm just saying. Throw an electric car. Ain't nobody going to throw them at, you know, theoretically. Although Sasha's like. They were using it figuratively, okay? I know, but my point is. Got my hopes up. That type of statement is saying that, you know, we're going to be stuck with electric cars with no choice. 
no range, and we're going to be basically out of luck. That's not true, number one. Number two, there are a whole host of companies out there right now building an electric infrastructure, private companies, dealers, uh, independent business people. Uh, a company that, that floored me called Clipper Creek. Clipper Creek's not only selling uh, charging infrastructure. They, they've, sold, they've built enough of these. They're selling used ones now. What? Yeah. Now, are these just single single charging stations? Yeah, for home or business or whatever. But they've got a whole catalog of different charging levels, different levels of where to put it. Uh, they've got what they call location type and home base type that you can, level one, level two. Um, let me give an example. Pricing for these things are as low as $300. Really? Yeah, really. Okay, for $300, how long would it take to charge my car? Kind of depends on what I think that, that basic one, uh-huh. and I have to look this up because they actually have a chart. And what they say is your level of charging and mm-hmm. its cost depends on what model you have. Okay. Because different battery systems and et cetera charge at different rates. Right. Do we have a uniform standard yet? No. Uh, okay. Uniform standard so. for? The batteries. No. And why would you need one? I would think if I'm going to have to go out and buy a charger, mm-hmm. shouldn't, shouldn't this also fall into we need a standard set so that you're not buying a charger and all of a sudden you've got to send it back because you got the wrong one? i got to okay. wait on this one, though. Okay, wait a minute. Number one, if you're going to buy a charger, the first thing they're going to ask you. What's your model? Yeah, they're going to ask you your model. Then they're going to look it up just like you go to the parts store, look up parts. Okay. They, but, they, they'll match this to the right charger. Jack, the other thing is, is that just like with smartphones, right? Right now, you've got people that have the micro USB, the Apple kind. I've got what's called a flat USB. So you've got different charger plug-ins that are available to charge up your phone. It's right. the same thing that's going to be for your EV. Okay. okay, but hold on a minute. Now, the one thing they have done is standardize the plug. Oh, did they officially? Yeah. Okay. They've standardized the plug. Well, that'll help. Well, that would be your main issue. Yeah. Yep. You know, you can choose, really, depending on your battery and your vehicle, you choose, at, you know, how quickly uh, you want to recharge and what you're willing to spend for it. Um, and they've got a whole host of these. I was just amazed. Now, this company only has been around. I think they want to say that it's been around since 2006. It ain't been around that long. But what I'm trying to say is economics as more vehicles get on the road, it makes more sense for other companies to jump in and offer these services. When you're sit, if, if I'm using one of their chargers in a public place, I'm assuming they somehow have rigged into the charger a payment system. Yeah, but these are not that kind. You've got commercial kinds, which would be set up. Again, just like the story we talked about in Germany in terms of you know your, your credit card. But they're talking charging times and ta- charging costs. Of like a dollar to two dollars to recharge. I mean, and then they show they've got they actually have schedules that show the gasoline equivalent of you know to do that to get the same level of power if you were buying by the gallon. And in some cases, depending on the car, you could be saving four and five dollars a gallon of gasoline. Yeah. In real time. That you're not spending by recharging. And they're using the typical uh, I want to say the average for the country, which is 13.6 cents per kilowatt hour, which is the cost of electricity in the United States. Mm-hmm. And they're using that. And then 
looking at the individual cars for charge time, what it will cost you, how long it will take to charge. So literally, there are, there are charts for that. So I'm not that worried about it. The thing is, what people got to start thinking about is that originally we talked about electric vehicles as getting away from dependence on foreign oil. We've reported here we are, we're number two now. We're going to be number one in a couple of years for crude oil production. That's no longer the issue. It's a pollution issue. It is a convenience issue. And it's a cost operation issue now because electrics cost less to run than, a, than a, an internal combustion engine car. And unless you've got a special situation where it would be different, it's still, you're still money ahead. So, um, finally, a cautionary tale about two wannabe automakers. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Go to roadworthydrive.com to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. I swear I'm going to separate you two during the break. Hey, we what? get to have fun between the segments. Dad. <laughs> I uh, called a lot of things, but never that. Well, there you go. Now now you can add that to your repertoire, <laughs> sir. This is the last segment for this Hour of Roadworthy Drive, and oh. I'm Ken Chester in studio with the incorrigible Roadworthy Drive crew. Incorrigible. Yeah. Yes. No, yes. I think you meant incorrigible. Incorrigible. Right. I stand yeah. corrected. Yeah, uh, we got into this major debate between the segments. Uh, Sasha is convinced that <clears throat> our beautiful country mm. is backward when it comes to the consideration of electric power. Yes. And electric powered vehicles. Yes. I said, on the other hand, that people are buying exactly what they want mm -hmm. and it's going to take a while for us to get there. Well, just like if you give your five year old child five dollars and you send them into a grocery store and you expect them to come out with things that are good for the supper table, they're okay. going to come out with five dollars worth of candy. OK, first of all, wouldn't send my five year old into a grocery store by themselves. I would in my hometown. Well, that's you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. In any case, people. Over the last few years, we've kept you informed about new and emerging automakers that were having various degrees of success with bringing a new vehicle to the American marketplace, which reminds me, Sasha, we haven't heard any more about Bollinger Industries. We have either. not, and they've been kind of um, moot on their whole news from us. And we haven't heard uh, anything from Lucid either. Not a peep from mm, Lucid. Anyway, well, so as our previous reporting, we've talked about Faraday Future, and we've talked about Elium. Elio Motors. So talking about them here, not a new thing for us. What is news is reporting about what, well, let me back up. What is new is what they're doing right now relative to the goal of building and selling cars in the American marketplace. We're going to take a peek, see how they're doing. And I'm going to start with this statement. It costs a lot of money. To be in the car business. Yeah. I'm talking billions. Yep. Billions. Um, let's start with Faraday Future. We had thrown dirt on these folks. We thought it was over. We did. Uh, we got excited when they brought their car to, uh, I think it was last year's Consumer Electronics Show. Yep. Uh, they were supposed to come to New York, but they didn't make it. And, you know, it was supposed to be sleek and all this amazing stuff. 
another Tesla killer. They ran out of money. Um, it seems that – how do I put this nicely? Mm-hmm. Now, the good news, they got $2 billion. The bad news, they had to pretty much bet the farm to do it. Yes, they did. And uh, it's a little – how do I put this gently? Shady? Uh-oh. Yeah, makes Preston Tucker's little um, discretions look like a Boy Scout. Oh, boy. Yeah. For the most part, some big developer guy in China owns the intellectual property and everything, the stock, everything. They still think they're going to build a car. But here, here's the thing. They're building a factory in China first. And it looks like they're going to build a car in China first. Okay. Um, that's different from the original plans that they were talking about. Is the investor in China? Yes. Okay. Uh, and honestly, without getting into a whole bunch of uh, about the twists and turns, it looks like a land grab by the investor to use uh, Faraday Future as, a, as an electric car manufacturer to get access to very high-priced land that the government had set aside for such ventures in China. Oh. That's the short version of the story. Okay. Uh, we'll see if this happens. Um, right now, I'm still betting against them. Even even the chagrin of Sasha, but I about to say I thought they were dead. Period. Yeah. And- well, this was a hail mary bunch of money. They still have to meet a bunch of covenants in order to get this done. I don't see how they get it done, but you know, as they say, stranger things have happened. Yep. Basically, on Stranger Things, Elio Motors got hail mary money, two point five million with an M, not a B like Faraday, okay. and you would never believe from who. Who gave it to him? Overstock.com. What? What? Yeah. You guys are doing that a lot lately. Tell me <laughs> something. Are they going to put couches in the car? No. No, but I could see them trying to form a partnership like Amazon. No. It's actually way simpler than that. Okay. okay. What is it? Uh, the, own, the, the main stockholder of Overstock took a ride in the car, believed in it, and uh, basically loaned them enough money to hopefully tide them over. But, you know, there's a lot of problems. Basically, in order to bring this car to market, Elio is going to need $376 million to do it. They're having some problems. Hmm. Have uh, they yeah. even got a car developed yet? They've got a car developed. Um, the question is whether they've got cars for all the sort of testing and everything you have to do, validation, okay. both for the to prove the assembly process and for crash testing, fuel economy, all of that, that you've got to submit to the government for approval and I, review. I thought they were making an electric car. They're making a vehicle, a three-wheeled vehicle, that is supposed to cost eh, less than eight grand and get upwards to, wait for it, 84 miles to the gallon. Okay, wasn't somebody else doing that? Um, not that I know of. They've been trying to do this now for almost 10 years. Okay, it's the same company. And what's worse... Um, they tried to do it in an old GM assembly plant that closed. These folks were looking for jobs down there. Um, it's not coming. And I don't know how they come up with $376 million because it is kind of, they're kind of shaky, too. Uh-huh. And they've got people, um, several thousand, with non-refundable deposits Ooh. of anywhere from 100 to $1,000. Oh, my goodness. The key word is non-refundable. And how much of that? Uh, let's see, of 20, uh, $28 million, only $1.1 $1. $1 million of it was refundable. 
I'm surprised an attorney an attorney's general has not taken that one up. Um, Louisiana, where they're trying to put this together, has been to, and the parish in which they're operating in has been taking them to task for promises broken. It again, it's squirrely. And here's the thing, folks: when people get desperate, John DeLorean, others in the car business, you see some really squirrely financial arrangements for somebody looking for that hail mary pass for money at almost any. Uh, at any price. Yep. The problem is that when you get that way, you rarely ever win. Yeah. And Elio right now is a long shot. As And here's the other thing. Uh, people are buying what? What did we say that people are buying right now? Uh, electric SUVs vehicles and, and tiny cars. Yeah, no. <laughs> SUVs and trucks. Right. Where uh, does this thing have a market? Well, the board getting out of the car, the passenger car business. Yeah, but do you want a three-wheeled vehicle? I don't. No dealers that I know of. No support. Uh, hasn't been built yet. Don't don't has not gone into production. They've delayed production several times. Don't know what to say, except that it does not look good. Well, folks, this ends this week's visit. Be sure to tune in next week when we do it all again. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.